Hey, Darren, have you heard about Trexpress Plus yet? Heard about it. We've we've done it. What it's amazing. About? Of course, I've heard about it. It's so cool. You're getting the whole Trexpress experience, but you're also getting a new podcast from us, the Inglorious Trexpress, Deck 78. This is true. It's it's like a it's like hanging uh, with us in the lounge on a starship. But also cool guests talking about cool subjects, Trek adjacent topics like right. Alien, Battle Beyond the Stars, Robocop, Logan's Run, The Black Hole, you name it. And, we'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll be there. Who knows? There might be a little uh, one about The Godfather someday. Oh, that'd be fun. Maybe I want to do that. Maybe will be able to refuse that. <laughs> they won't indeed. So it's real easy to join. If you want to support uh, the podcast and become a member of Trexpress Plus to get all the the great Trexpress Plus goodness, you want to go to <laughs> TrexpressPlus.com, TrexpressPlus.com, and take word, off one for savings. Out. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it, it, it you, you can sign up. It's very easy, and then from there on out, you can enjoy the full experience and you can be find your way chosen. to deck seventy eight, the hidden deck of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> And the Inglorious Trexperts, where we hang out. Well, yeah. It's all good. Join us. TheTrexpertsPlus.com Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at TrexpertsPlus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. This episode... Features an exclusive freewheeling conversation about Battlestar Galactica 1978. By your command, here's a sneak peek. Let's do it. Okay, ready, ready for the holiday special? Here we go. 10 best Galactica characters, starting with 10. Beryllian Noman at 10. Okay, number nine. Number oh nine. God. Come on, uh, who's number nine? Number nine is Cyrus Bellaby. No, she's not in the top 10. Come sure on. Sure, he is. No, you know Lloyd Bachner from the Eastern Alliance. No, I hate I hate the <laughs> freaking Eastern from Alliance. The Eastern Alliance. The stupidest <laughs> thing Dama, ever. Okay. White okay, come on, number nine. Okay, it's it's, it's 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 Green Bean, yeah. Ed Beagley Jr. Oh my Lieutenant god, Lieutenant Green yeah. Bean. As, uh, what was his name? Come on, Green, Green, Green Bean. Bean, Green Bean, Green Bean. Yeah, Green Bean. Green Bean. Mm-hmm. Okay, number eight, Sheba. No, Sarah Rush, the <laughs> Rigel. She's the one who goes, launch all Vipers. Okay, we're going to get to Sheba, right? Okay. So, okay, number, number seven. Number seven is the Chief Ovion. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be the singers. It's love, love, No, love, they're love. higher up. Okay. Because well, <laughs> we're getting, now we're getting, because you got to have Countably in the top five. Yeah. You got to have Adama. Don't, don't you tell me who we got to have. Starbuck, Sheba. Yeah. Right. What about yeah. Serena? What about Serena? Oh, Serena. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And Apollo. You gotta have Jane Seymour. Apollo, yeah. maybe. Eh, I guess. Starbuck, uh, Imperious Leader. Yes. Bora, the computer. Baltar. Oh yeah. How can you, you got a Baltar? Baltar. Right? You gotta have Baltar. Baltar. Oh my god, this gotta be a holiday well, special. We need more wait, time. Wait, 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 wait. You guys, you've listed all of these names, and I haven't heard Janeway. What's going on here? You're funny. What about the Daggett? You gotta have the Daggett. No, you don't. Muffy. No, you don't. No, you don't. You gotta have Commander Kane. Oh yeah, you gotta have Commander Kane. And you don't have to have Boxy. No, you don't. Oh. No, you don't need that Boxy. Wesley Crusher. 
But you need, Athe- you, you need Athena. You, you need Athena because we were all like uh, 10 years old at the time. I, I didn't like Boxy when I was on, but I think it was more like I was jealous that this kid like got to hang out on those sets and like be in that show. I, I didn't like cool. that kid. And you no, were rooting against him in uh, Never Ending Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like that he was the impetus for all these stories. Like he, he hit it. He, he, um, Hit out on the on the shuttle, so he he goes down to the gun on ice planet zero because he was hiding on the shuttle. It's like Muffy wanted on. to see Muffy wants to see snow. Yeah, <laughs> oh, come Muffy on. Snow. <laughs> and then fire in the you know he's in the center of the action again at fire and fire in space. It's like I don't. Well, like they kind of wrote him out of the show by the second half though. He, he well, and Athena also. Half. I love Athena. Were, yeah. yeah. Well, who didn't? Athena and Serena were my two go-to babes. Apparently Don Henley didn't love her enough. He didn't marry her. Oh, but uh oh, oh, too soon. Yeah. Um but uh what else? Um yeah, so I mean, you know, it's just like look at the way we talk about the show. It's almost like uh Inglorious Galactic Spurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. But let's but you know, there's a legacy here because the- So subscribe today at TrexfirstPlus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the rockets. Worf faces an emotional reunion with a forgotten son. You don't care about me. All you care about is your honor. And a sudden crisis could sever their relationship forever. Bridge to Biolab 4. Alexander, can you hear us? The wave is about to overtake us, sir. Now, can Worf make peace with his son before tragedy strikes? Commander, you have three minutes, not one second more. Alexander! On Star Trek, the next generation. Welcome to the Trexperts Briefing Room, where industry professionals curate audio commentaries with the creators, creatives, and diehard fans of the Star Trek franchise. My name is Peter Holmstrom. I'm an author of the new best-selling book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Star Trek, available in stores and on Kindle right now. And I'm Lisa Klink. I was a writer for Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and I have uh, several short stories in the Star Trek Explorer magazine. Emotional serialization is, in modern television, almost a prerequisite. Not only do you need to have an entire family tree of main characters mapped out at the pitch stage, but half of those characters need to be evil, and the other half need to have some deep, dark secret that affects the main character. During the time of The Next Generation, this emotional serialization was developed more naturally, with storylines being built upon each successive episode and story pitch. The potential downside of this, however, was that the characters would rarely be added to the principal cast, and thus only seen occasionally on guest spots. On today's show, we have screenwriter, novelist, and uh, producer Grant Rosenberg on. Grant has written extensively on TV shows such as Poltergeist Legacy, uh, The Outer Limits, and created the television show Time Tracks with Trek alum Harv Bennett. And more pertinent to this conversation today, wrote the episode of Star Trek TNG Season 5, New Ground. In other words, the one where Worf's adopted human parents tell Worf they can't handle raising Worf's son, Alexander, and drop him back off on the Enterprise. Grant Rosenberg, thank you so much for being here. 
My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So how did Star Trek first enter your life? Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, a development executive at uh, Paramount in the television area. And in uh, 1979, uh, Paramount produced the first Star Trek film with Robert Weiss. It was very expensive at the time, uh, not particularly successful. And uh, Michael Eisner, who was the president of the studio at the time and had come out of television, as you probably know, said, you know what, why don't we hand Star Trek, the movie franchise over to the TV division and have them uh, develop and essentially ride herd over it. Um, they can do it uh, with a television sensibility. Since Star Trek came out of TV, it would make more sense. This way, we're not putting as much money on the line. And I think they'll have a better sense of it. So uh, we hired Harv Bennett. Uh, <clears throat> and Harv came in to oversee Star Trek 2, 3, 4, and 5 and uh, actually wrote uh, Search for Spock and Voyage Home. Um, and uh, it was the TV division. So I was vice president of drama development. So it fell under my wing, if you will. Um, and as soon as the first movie came out and it was successful, the movie division said, okay, okay, okay. Uh, it's our, we'll take it back. <laughs> but <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, so I've got some scripts lying around someplace uh, for the uh, for Wrath of Khan uh, with my notes on it and Harv's notes on it and uh, big, bold uh, numbers because they numbered every script so they wouldn't get out into the public. I've got it someplace. I don't know. I should probably Xerox 100 copies. Of <laughs> um, and, and that's also where uh, I met Harv. And uh, then Harv also worked with us in uh, in television area, and uh, he he produced a miniseries for me, uh, a woman called Golda, and the Jesse Owens story. And then later on in 1993, Harv came back into my life. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, so the next movies were all done um, with Harv and with um the writers that he hired he established relationships with who then came some of them came on to time tracks actually later um so i was never a trekkie per se i mean i watched the show once in a while the the original show um and what happened was i was at paramount until 1985. in 1984 uh, we were looking to bring in a director of drama to handle movies of the week we, didn't, we weren't doing a lot of them, but we were still doing a handful, Movies of the Week and miniseries. And I hired a guy from Columbia, a television named Rick Berman. <clears throat> so Rick came over to Paramount and was knocking around for a while. And then uh, Paramount, what happened was in 1985 or 84, 85, the chairman of the board of Gulf and Western, which was Paramount's uh, parent company, uh, passed away, Charles Bluthorn. And that resulted in uh, big changes in at Paramount. <clears throat> so there were three factions. So the there was the Eisner, Katzenberg, uh, Rich Frank faction, who all went to Disney. And then there was the Frank Mancuso faction. Frank was president of motion picture distribution. Frank stayed at Paramount. 
And then there was Barry Diller, uh, who had a faction. He was a faction unto himself. He went to Fox and, you know, then it begat uh, Fox Television, actually, after that. Um, so I went along a couple of months later, maybe six or seven months later, I went to Disney with Michael and Jeffrey and Rich Frank. And in the interim, uh, well, I should say not in the interim, but when I was at Disney, Rick didn't really have much work to do because Paramount was getting out of the movie of the week business and they kind of didn't know what to do with them. So they said, why don't you go over and work with Gene? He's trying to re we're trying to reboot Star Trek next. And I, I, I guess I was the wrong place at the wrong time. I had, I taken that walk across the lot, but anyway, <laughs> so, so Rick was a, a friend of mine and uh, I think always had a bit of a soft spark soft spot in his heart for me because I was responsible for him being there and getting this opportunity. And if you've ever met him or talked to him, he's just one of the nicest people on the planet. So I mean, he, he deserves everything he got. Um, <clears throat> I spent three years, I'm getting back around to your question, uh, <laughs> the specifics of it. Um, I spent three years at Disney uh, running the TV division. And then I left, <clears throat> went to Warner Brothers um working for a guy by the name of lee rich who had started lorimar television and uh i worked i worked with lee he was president of his company for a couple of years then i went back to paramount for a year and this was in 1992 and while i was there i was uh starting to write because i was an executive up to that point uh <clears throat> so i was starting to write and i wrote some macgyvers and some other stuff and Rick said, uh, why don't you come on over and write a Star Trek? And I said, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you, I don't really know that much about the show. Mm -hmm. Here, watch like five or six episodes over the weekend. Of course, I watched 10 because I, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's what you do. And so I had a whole legal pad filled up with story ideas. And I walked into, I guess, Ron Moore and Brandon Braga and other people in the room. And I started pitching ideas and they said, just... There's no ideas you're going to be able to pitch that we haven't even that we haven't already gone through in the first series and everything we've talked about. And they said, we've got a busted story <clears throat> called New Ground, and we're just going to give you that story and want you to write the teleplay. It's like, great. <clears throat> so uh, I wrote the teleplay. It was one of the so it was one of the first few handfuls of scripts I'd written, and I'm sure looking back on it would probably be a bit embarrassing, but you know, I, as an executive, as a studio executive, I probably read and notated five, six, 700 scripts, you know, in the yeah. years I was a studio executive, but writing one, uh, I was comfortable doing it, but you know, you, as you, as you well know, you get better with, with age yes. uh, and experience. So uh, <clears throat> finished my draft brought it in. I got sat down by um, Mike Piller and Jerry. Um, Jerry Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And <clears throat> they gave me notes and they were very, very supportive. And they had known me as a senior executive at the studio. So they had a lot of respect for me and they treated me very kindly, I must say, in retrospect. So I did a second pass and then I brought it back in and I was eager to do whatever was next. And they said, uh, take it in-house now. This is what we do with uh, with freelancers. We'll take it in-house. And they did. 
And about two weeks later, they sent me a draft of the script and that, and uh, still have my name on it, but uh, I didn't recognize it very much. <laughs> to tell you the honest and goodness truth. And it was good, but I will like, I wasn't going to go tell my friends that I'd written this episode, even <laughs> though my name was on it because uh, it was a, you know, they had done a lot of work to make it a Star Trek episode. And um <clears throat> That was how how I dipped my toe in the Star Trek water. So I had a lot of sort of, uh, you know, lines leading in and out of Star Trek. And then afterwards, it's funny because a lot of the people who worked on the show, um, I ended up working with in various capacities because they're, as you know, the staffs are, were so big. And every year they added more and stuff that everybody went off and did their own thing. And I ended up working with a handful of them uh, as well down the line. Well, that's awesome. Um, and we'll, uh, I love to learn more about your draft as we talk about the, uh, the episode uh, itself. But before we do, I, I had a question. You, you, you mentioned how during your time as an executive uh, at Paramount during the Wrath of Khan era, um, we've heard rumors through the years that there had actually been like development done on a like TV series. If Wrath of Khan hadn't been a big success, they were going to kind of spin it off into a TV series <clears throat> focused on uh, Kirstie Alley's character and and David Marcus Kirk's son. Do you do you have any recollection of that? Does that ring well, any bells? Not that per se. There was well, yes and no. There was a, a thing called PTS, which is Paramount Television Service. And Paramount Television Service was a consortium of independent stations. And this is before Fox TV. So there's the three networks and then there's syndication. So in syndication, there are syndication groups. And like Chris Craft, I think, was a big part, was a big syndication group. And um, there, so Chris Craft was part of the formation of PTS and I and I'm pretty sure that the Star Trek series was going to be the hallmark mm -hmm. of PTS. It was going to launch this series. Um, so, unless I'm mistaken, I think that's what the track was. <clears throat> had the movies not been successful, mm -hmm. and then of course, even despite I mean, as a result of their success, then of course it begat the television series, right concurrently sure. and they realized you know paramount realized that they really had a, a golden goose here and then it was like you know how can we take advantage of this and they certainly have <laughs> so, yeah. and still are yes yeah <laughs> i have to say i you know i think the, the movies that harv did um i mean i watched them i i liked them but i was never really a trekkie and uh then when they brought jj in it's like wow I mean, that is a whole new voice, and I'm a huge fan of those movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love Chris Pine. I love the whole cast, and I'm a giant Simon Pegg nerd. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Amazing. All right. Well, let's just get right on into the episode here. Um, so, listeners out there, we're going to be watching uh, Season 5 episode, New Ground, uh, at the very beginning. In three, two, one, engage. Okay. There we go. Sorry about that. I never trust computers. Ah, uh, there's Bolana. Bolana three. <laughs> I wonder if they uh, remember this when they were naming the character in Voyager. Oh, is there a character named Bolana? Bolana, there is. Oh, that's so funny. 
Yeah. So uh, should I continue? Yes, yes please. please. Oh, so we're doing a, um, there's a Star Trek convention in Pasadena, a sci-fi convention, which equals a Star Trek convention because this is in 1994, I guess. So they invited us, uh, Harb and myself, to present the uh, teaser for or the trailer, if you will, for um, time tracks at the at this convention. So there's a hall full of people for a Star Trek costume. Uh, they're showing costumes from Star Trek, and there must have been uh, 500 people to watch this costume show. And then the costume show was over, and they said, "So now we want you know want to introduce you to." Uh, uh, Grant Rosenberg and Harv Bennett, and they're going to tell you about uh, time tracks. So we show this little clip of time tracks, about two minutes long. And uh, and and by the way, uh, 412 people left. I mean, there were <laughs> maybe 75 people left. And so they said, are there any questions? One person raised his hand. Yes, Mr. Bennett, in, uh, in uh, Wrath of Khan, when you, uh, <laughs> and he said, oh, we're here to talk about time tracks. Oh, Okay. Anybody else have a question? Yeah, when you wrote Search for Spock, did you mean, and Harv's like, no, 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 here we're talking about time tracks. Okay, we've got a question for Grant. Yeah, Mr. Rosenberg, yeah. Uh, in the episode New Ground, <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, it was like they were so passionate about yeah. Star Trek, and I'm not embarrassed to say they knew tremendously more about it than I did. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that. It was sort of funny. Oh, here he is. Yeah. Here's Alexander. Alexander there. The third actor to play the role, if I recall. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they kept... Even though it <laughs> looks almost exactly the same, they kept uh, recasting the, the role. Why did they recast it three times? Uh, You know, kids grow, grow very quickly. Oh. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, and I think, too, like some just, uh, you know, uh, scheduling, things like that. Uh, I'm sure there's other reasons, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so do you recall like when you got the, uh, the, the story breakdown for the episode, like what, 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 what was kind of the main, your main takeaways from that? Uh, not much. I mean, my main, I mean, honestly, my main takeaway was, that uh, I need to go back and watch a lot more episodes um, <laughs> to to do it justice at, at all. I mean, one of the things that they stressed was don't worry, they don't worry about the technical scientific space aspects of it. Um, they said, you know, you can watch as many episodes you want, but we'll, we're going to tweak a lot of that and this and the key parts. That, oh, I worked with Jonathan Frakes later on in life, too. He directed an episode of Masters of Science Fiction that I did in uh, in Vancouver. Um, but they said, just focus on the characters, you know, focus on the dialogue in the outline. I think the outline was probably eight or nine pages. Uh, you know, it's it's we've already put in the technical uh, information that you need to make it consistent, to make it work, you know, the kinds of, you know, the warp drives and the things like that, that's all built in there. 
So you're really wor you're really working on the characters and their motivations and the pace and keeping it, you know, consistent with the other shows. But really, we just want, you know, want you to tell the human story. I put human in quotes, mm -hmm. you know, the, the character's story as opposed to worrying about the uh, scientific specifics. <clears throat> It was funny too. Look at Ron Moore as a co co producer. Pete yeah. Lawrenson, interestingly, I uh, worked when I was running the TV division. Uh, Pete Lawrenson was the director of production, physical production at Paramount Television, um, and he worked for um, Ralph Winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Ralph Winter has then went on to produce. X-Men and Fantastic Four. He's become a big movie producer with Fox. I don't know what Pete's doing now, but uh, yeah. he he moved over from administration over to the show. Uh, Georgia Brown here plays Worf's foster <clears throat> mother, Helena Roshenko. I always love the yeah. fact that Worf's adopted parents were Russian. It just felt very appropriate. <laughs> appropriate, exactly. <laughs> now, was she... Uh, and Michael Dorn, by the way, very, very lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah. Was she um, a recurring character? She was, yeah. She'd previously been in uh, the episode Reunion, I believe. Um, no, Family, so. excuse me, Family. But um, which was the episode where... Uh, Worf's adopted parents just showed up on the Enterprise and um, raised havoc as, as they do. But <laughs> but uh, reunion was the last time we saw Alexander um, when uh, it was decided that Worf's uh, son would it's go and live now, with watching, her. Yeah, watching this in retrospect. Uh, and having either written or rewritten a hundred hours of television now, it's like, oh, I, I think I probably could have done a better job today. <laughs> I've written this script. Well, sure. You know, it's interesting as well, at least I find it interesting, is my wife, um, whose name is Marjorie Monahan, is an actress and she, or was an actress. She did an episode of Voyager called um, Heroes and Demons. Mm. Okay. Uh, which he played a character called uh, Freya. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was set on a holodeck. So mm. that's very cool. That's great. Yeah. So Star Trek's been good to us. <laughs> and I bet you're still getting residuals for yes. this. <laughs> I do. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, after all these years, um, they they dribble in. It's great. Yeah, Star Trek is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, it's it, you know, it's um, not that I had any control over it per se, but getting on a show like this or like one of the Dick Wolf shows or whatever, or one of the Bruckheimer shows and writing like, although I did write 10 episodes of Lois and Clark, um, hmm. but, but writing on a show like that, you know, that goes for 150 episodes. That's good for retirement. Yep. Especially this how like long lasting, you know, people are still rewatching Star Trek for, and, and watching it for the first time. And uh, yeah, 
I think back on a lot of those other <laughs> shows from, you know, the past that, that maybe even are successful at the time, but like nobody really watches them today. And yeah. LA Law is probably my favorite example where I'm just like, I've never seen an episode in my life. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I don't even know I, where you'd find it. I remember uh, writing, I, I believe that uh, this was not very well sketched out in the outline and, and uh, I developed it. And then of course, whoever rewrote me, probably Brandon or, or Ron Moore, uh, took it another step, but uh, introducing the school, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always love seeing the uh, the school pop up on the Enterprise. It's fun. Do you recall how much of how quickly the uh, turnaround was for the for the drafts? How long did it take me to write it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a week probably. Oh, yeah. Wow, nice. that's pretty quick. Yeah, it's a. Uh... <clears throat> I mean, you know, you sit down and 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 you knock it out. I mean, it was it was good. Uh, it was a good training for me, and, and I believe they wanted it kind of quickly because, uh, you know, I, I believe they they turned it around pretty quickly after that as well. The the funniest one uh, was I I was brought in. I was offered an episode of Baywatch to write, and I yeah. was in between stuff, and I thought, eh. Do I really want that on my resume? They <laughs> watch. Uh, so I wrote one, mm-hmm. and they paid uh, scale, uh, like um, off-network scale. Mm. So it was not very much money, and they said just write thirty-five pages because the rest of the time is filled up with slow motion running and music <laughs> videos, and I was like. Really? They said, yeah. So, so I, they gave me a, some story points and I, uh, then I developed the story and then I wrote the script pretty quickly. It doesn't take long to write 35 pages. Yeah. Um, like insert Pamela Anderson running in slow motion here. <laughs> but uh, they, I gave them the first draft and I said, you know, you've got any thoughts? And they said, no, we're going to shoot this in like two weeks. Wow. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And they said, we're going to do an in-house pass really quick. And then we have to start figuring out what what our, uh, you know, what video we're going to shoot to go along with it. So thanks a lot. Thanks for thanks for doing a great job. And, <laughs> and uh, bye. And I went to visit one of my daughters at, at college. And I was doing Lois and Clark at the time. And they said, oh, Mr. Rosenberg, we hear you like your writer. And I said, yeah, I'm doing Lois and Clark, which was a hit show at the time. And they go like, oh, weird, you wrote a Baywatch. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what my daughter was going to lunch on, that her dad wrote a Baywatch. Amazing. Do more people ask you about that or about this episode? Um, well, these days, not neither really, but yeah. um, at least the Baywatch, I had more of a hand in. Hmm and uh knew more about but um no i don't get asked about this often however two years ago i think completely out of the blue i got a certificate saying congratulations you were on the staff or something like that of one of one of the shows that was uh rated one of the top 100 best written tv series (laughs) and it was this Uh. like oh i 
wasn't on the staff, but uh, so now I guess I can say I'm an award-winning writer, can't I? Yes. Uh, How this, big was uh, the staff on, on Voyager? Uh, there were like five or six of us. Probably not too many freelancers by then, though, were there? Well, we had a lot of freelance freelancers who sold stories, but not very many who actually wrote scripts. Ah. Well, these days, as I'm sure you know, they're like almost no freelancers. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. Everything is written in-house. By like two people. <laughs> well, in that <laughs> case, yeah, it's like Game of Thrones. All these episodes written by two guys. Mm -hmm. Or my personal favorite is where they will pay freelance rates, but expect a staffed room. Like, that's, yeah. That's, that's nice. That's nice. Uh, I love how this element too is like the uh, subtle serialized element of Worf and Troy romance, which uh -huh. as a kid, when I watched this uh, whole series, it went by me completely. Yeah. Like I was just like, I didn't <laughs> pick up on it at all. And then in the finale, they're like making out and I'm like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> but now it's a, now rewatching it all again. It's, it's like, Oh, it actually is layered in pretty well. And it's, it's uh Especially with the Alexander storyline here, it's um, yeah, it adds yeah, a really like nice this. connection point for them. I did, you know, when Sulu, it was revealed that Sulu was gay, and I know Sulu's not in this series, but did you ever did you ever reflect back on any parts or any moments in the movies or in the prior series that indicated that? Well, I mean, I think George Takai has even mentioned how, like, it wasn't there. <laughs> like, no, it yeah. wasn't. And he was quite offended that they made it that way because it was like, he's an actor, he's playing a role, and they they kind of shifted the character to fit more with Takai's personality, uh, or, excuse me, sexual orientation. And it's like, uh, you know, he was a little miffed at that. Yeah. Well, most yeah, of those characters it... were pretty sexless. I mean, other than Kirk, obviously. Also, also true. And Spock. Yeah. Spock got... Got, True. Got a good amount of action going on there. <laughs> uh, well, it is a new new era, you know. It is. This is cool. I like this stuff. I love this. Yeah, they, yeah. they're such a fun alien. The notion that they have all these aliens in the uh, in the Enterprise, I always like that aspect. Mm -hmm. And of course, he's putting his finger through the netting. Don't touch it. Yeah. Yep. It's a. Uh, Brian Bozsall, I'm probably mispronouncing the name, excuse me, who's playing Alexander here. He actually played Alexander for seven times in, uh, yeah. in The Next Generation um, and had a series regular role previously on Family Ties. It's, Family uh, Ties, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 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 Al, not Alex Keaton, um, Andrew yeah. Keaton. One of the, like the, younger, the younger ones. Yeah. Huh. It's kind of another show that doesn't get watched a lot anymore. It's uh, people find it hard to look back on the Reaganomics of the eighties, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, doesn't have as much rewatchability factor as Star Trek mm -hmm. does. Put the model inside his jacket. That's right. It is a fun note too that like Worf is confronted with the fact that he's been really bad father in this episode like he's uh doesn't even remember alexander's 
birthday or or rather yeah. doesn't even know it maybe i mean it's just uh he's just not yeah i mean that's he's not suited to be a father which is which is what makes it great yeah um and doesn't really want to be a father yeah which, you know, as which, he's saying right here well yeah then there's the whole thing about being a klingon which is <laughs> which exacerbates the problem <laughs> Because uh, Worf himself was not raised by Klingons. No. And so, you know, becoming a Klingon father is doubly difficult. Now, how, uh, Peter, did you get, uh, I mean, Lisa, obviously, you have worked in this universe. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're very, very... Uh, you know, you've you've been dipped in the uh, in the in the blood of uh, Gene Roddenberry, so to speak. Yes, thoroughly. Uh, but Peter, how about you? Why well, was I, it that you became a, a Trekkie? Well, for me, it was it was, uh, it was uh, you know I was I was of the syndication generation, I guess they call it, where it's mm -hmm. you know every night of the every night of the week, uh, Star Trek was on TV, um, and I just devoured it. I mean, it was. Um, Every night, six o'clock was the original series, and uh, seven o'clock was the next generation. And uh, on Channel Twelve, KPTV in Portland, <laughs> and that uh, was that uh, was how I spent my childhood was watching those things, and um, you know, made it. Uh, it's been, I mean, one of the best parts about coming to LA and just becoming part of the Hollywood screenwriting industry is is you, you meet all these people that are also huge, you know, Trek fans growing up, and, right? Because like growing up in uh, small town Oregon as I did I was like oh I'm the only Trek fan here yeah <laughs> everyone else is like watching sports or something like that. and I was See, like I, hey. sorry <laughs> no please go ahead no I was just gonna say this for me even though you know a lot of these aren't necessarily my words this is the thing that came easiest for me uh being a father of you know having three children mm. and <clears throat> these kinds of scenes were much easier for me to write than to write the technical yeah. scenes. I also just have to say yet again, that what we just saw here was the statue and story of Kalis versus Morath, which is in Worf's bedroom. And I have been looking for a recreation of that, of that statue for years. And no one, <laughs> no one's made it yet. Nobody's made it. And it just eats me wow. up inside. <laughs> You need to get yourself a 3D printer. I know. I, you know, it's, uh, and learn how to use it. That's, yeah. That's the real trick. I feel like it's, <laughs> it's harder than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> now, are either of you, I suspect you are, watching this, this most recent iteration of Star Trek that's on Paramount Plus? Uh, yes, several of them. Yeah, we uh, did an episode about the first episode of season three of Picard uh, a few weeks ago, and uh -huh. uh, that was a lot of fun. And I think, I, I, at least for me, I've been watching it every week, and it's been it's mm -hmm. been wonderful to see those characters again. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. No, I've really enjoyed seeing the the old gang get, getting back together. Yeah, especially Worf, because Michael again, Michael Dorn is just still he's still got it. He's still kicking yep. ass. He's, he's great. I. Uh mentioned i did this series in vancouver um called masters of science fiction and uh i worked and jonathan frakes came up and uh or came out he was living in maine um and directed it 
And it was funny because I had worked with Jonathan and his wife. Uh, they did an episode of Lois and Clark. Mm. So it's like, so we knew each other just a little bit. Um, but it was great to work with him. He was ter- he's a terrific director. He's, as you might imagine, extremely good with with actors, but just really, you know, very very creative in in uh, how he helped move things forward. And uh, it was a crazy crazy episode um, with all kinds of weird creatures and stuff. And he was he was just right at home. Yeah, I've I've heard only good things about him as a director. I know he directed several Voyagers, and the cast just loved him. You know, we've we've heard a few times, uh, Grant, over the years that, and and you know, looking back at the '90s, especially, it's like the, the, the there there was quite a stigma around writing in science fiction and and genre fair in general, and and yet you have a lot of credits there. You know, Poltergeist, The Outer Limits, Star Trek, things like that. Did you feel that same sort of social stigma around it or were you just like you know what this is great stuff i'm here to write it oh no i never felt that Hmm. um well and what happened with me was i was doing uh it was it was very strange because i did time tracks which um i created and uh you know it had modest success two seasons 44 episodes i it's not a household show but i I gotta uh, tell you i liked it oh thank you um and and so i thought well you know it's the first time out of the box i create a series and it uh, gets on the air and that's the last series i ever created that made it on the air (laughs) who knew but um when i i was so i was doing lois and clark which is science fiction but you know it's not hardcore science fiction it's comic book which i kind of think that there's a difference yeah. Um, and when I was on the second season of Lois and Clark, um, I got a call from a friend of mine who was running MGM saying, we're doing this show Poltergeist up in Vancouver and it's, it's off the rails. We need someone to go and get, get a hold of it. And would you be willing to go up during your hiatus and go head up to Vancouver and be the showrunner for for the middle eight episodes? Was sure. So, uh, so I went from being a co-producer and a producer on Lois and Clark to being more or less the showrunner on this show, and no one knew who I was or whatever. I walked in and and interestingly. Uh, I replaced Frank Abetta Marco, who also came out of a next generation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a funny story because the guy who hired me, uh, which was Trilogy Entertainment, said, go ahead. I said, so where do do you want me to sit? Hmm. Said, well, you're going to take Frank's job, so you can just take his office. And I said, does he know yet? No. (laughs) Go in and tell him that uh, you'll be taking his job. I said, I can't do that. They said, yes, like the first thing you need to do, which I thought was kind of cowardly. Yeah. um, So I went went in and I knew Frank a little bit. And I said, uh, well, have you gotten a call from these guys at Trilogy or from your agent? No. I said, well, um, I'm taking your job. 
Wow. He, as you can imagine, he thought it was a joke. And then he was so angry. I said, just, I said, I'm leaving your office now. I'm going to go, I'll go find someplace else to sit. Why don't you make a few yeah. calls? Let's see if we can work this out. But this is a long-winded answer, uh, Peter. But so I started doing Poltergeist, and then I went back and did Lois and Clark. Finished up the fourth season of Lois Clark. Went back up to Poltergeist, and they were having problems in their second season. So I finished the second season, and then stayed and did the third and fourth season, and then rolled right over into uh, Outer Limits because we were both shooting. Both shows were shooting at the Bridge Studios. Mm. So I just kept rolling from you know science fiction into paranormal into you know fantasy ish if you will and um then i got my uh canadian landed status hmm. cling on not talk to teachers i'm just watching this i'm so <laughs> yes um i got my canadian landed status and just got a reputation as being the american showrunner who writes science fiction and paranormal and who will relocate to Canada. So yeah. then they just started falling in step. And, you know, that was my career basically. So it was never, there was never a stigma about it at all. As far as I was concerned. You never had the urge to go do like a cop show or a medical drama or anything like well, that. I don't think I was well suited for medical. Uh, I was, a sh I was uh, a supervising producer on, uh, 13, which was a, uh, a spy show with Stuart Townsend and, uh, Aisha Tyler, Taylor, Tyler. And, um, so, so that was good that I enjoyed that. Um, but you know, you know how this goes, Lisa, it's, um, you get pigeonholed. You do. And, and it's hard to break out of that. And it's like, I don't write Science. Oh, this is, I like this scene. Yeah. Uh, I don't consider the fact that I really write science fiction. I write characters. Yeah. And, you know, they're dropped into a science fiction milieu or they're dropped into whatever. Uh, and interestingly, the novel I wrote, Gideon, um, it takes place in a medical clinic. It comes from a medical clinic and then it's a mystery thriller suspense book. And it has nothing to do with any of this stuff that I'd written previously. So, yeah. but it's character-based, which is really what I enjoy. That's wonderful. I don't, uh, I don't know if this was intentional, but this is like the same holodeck training program that Worf and Kalar <laughs> were rocking when they decided mm. to get down and dirty in season two. And uh, Alexander <laughs> came a few months later. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Who knows if that's well, it's, on if the right. It wasn't my decision. If it's, yeah. it's intentional, it could just be a coincidence. <laughs> they were just or like, we needed that, a training program, and that's it. <laughs> or it could one. be that they had this set, you yes, know, exactly. in storage, and so they said, well, we need to do this Klingon training program. Probably bring out the Klingon right. set. Yeah. I suspect that's much more the reason. Yes, <laughs> yes. But you know, a lot of this stuff, like I said, I think I was. If they were going to give me an episode to write, uh. This episode was, was was so much more in my wheelhouse than an episode that would have been highly technical, because the vast majority of it is you know f family relationships. Yeah, which I think is which I think is great. Yeah, 
That's very poignant too. It's I always laugh a little bit though that like in terms just in terms of seasons, this is like you know Alexander would be like two right now. Yeah, but like he's clearly like eight, and then by the time you see him at the at his <clears throat> last appearance in Deep Space Nine, he's like twenty something and rocking yeah. on on a command clip. So I'm like, do Klingons just age quicker, or is this just like there's more time elapsing on the Enterprise than than just a year? Of, of television yeah. you know who knows but uh i mean i guess someone knows but not me but um, uh, yeah i think i think you're allowed to play a little fast and loose when it comes to that stuff so. well certainly if they're aliens and you can just say well yeah of course klingons age faster yes of course they age faster and live longer that's uh that's how it yep. always works <laughs> <laughs> it's just whatever fits into the story pretty much and whatever fits into production, which is they don't want to have to deal with, you know, an eight-year-old yes. who has to have the onset tutor and all that, you know, like work oh, for yeah. two hours and that sort of thing. So they'd much right. rather have a 16-year-old that they can abuse a little more. Oh, <laughs> 100%. We, I did Hollywood abuse, abuse youngsters? I can't, I can't imagine. can't imagine. <laughs> uh, I did uh, Jeremiah, the second season, and... Um, of course, it was a you know, a comic book based, um, and it was all you know, it was all young adults. Um, I mean, they but they were all you know, uh, Luke Perry. They were all of the age where obviously there was no work restrictions. But whenever there was a an episode that like you know introduced like a a small child, it was like. Eh, um, I think they would lose the child mostly in the in the first rewrite. Yeah. <laughs> pain, pain. Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. It's funny too now, you know, how dated the props look. I mean, mm. it's the same with everything. At least that's the thing about a a cop show or something like that is the props don't look dated when you're looking at science fiction. Like if you watch, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big uh, star Wars guy. Um, but when you watch the first star Wars, you just scratch your head and say like, how, how did this become such a phenomenon? <laughs> and the reason it did was because it was kind of cool, but also it told a great human story. Yeah. Um, but when you just like watch these sets, they're just so boring and and kind of cheap looking, but it doesn't really matter because that's not what you're focused on right now. Sure, it's very true. I have a few props from uh, Outer Limits, the season I did Outer Limits. And um when you do an anthology, you're you know you're creating new sets all the time, so you shoot a lot of it on location, um, if you can, and then you build one or two sets, one or two key sets, and they would turn them around pretty quick, um, but they were never very intricate because they were only going to be used to shoot in for like three days. Yeah, it's a but show that would... really uh, it needs a good Blu-ray release. I mean, that's uh, I don't know would... what whatever happened with with that show and it seemed like there were some issues with like rights or something but like it's just it deserves a good uh good what show was that? release 
the outer limits just what you were talking about there I'm, oh. I'm, i keep i keep looking for like a nice blu-ray transfer at some point but it's just never really never happened oh 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 yeah i don't know about that yeah but we would spend money on on uh hero props i've got a gun around here somewhere a, a futuristic gun i think we spent ten thousand dollars on it it was wow. gorgeous hmm. it was like our key expense for that for that episode and I actually brought it with me when we when I went up to do some show. I don't remember which one it was. Um, oh, I think it was when I was going up to do Eureka. And mm -hmm. I said, well, I'm going to bring this up because it's this really expensive futuristic prop. And maybe we can use it. And I had it in my carry-on. No, I had it in my in my suitcase. But when I checked in, I said to the guy behind the desk, um, I just want you to know there's a prop in my suitcase i'm not carrying oh, no. it. But <laughs> someone may flag it and he goes let me see it i opened it up and he said before i opened it up i said so it's this futuristic gun he goes oh so i showed it to him and he goes this doesn't look anything like a gun <laughs> well it's like a future gun i mean you know it look like an actual gun you rob a bank with this could be a problem I, said, yeah. I just didn't want to get flagged <laughs> <He's>... <clears throat> Yeah, because that was that was also a show like that was originally on Showtime, as I recall, and it was yes. like Showtime's effort to kind of establish mm -hmm. its brand. But and then it sold to syndication on the sci-fi and they kind of edited it for content. And uh, it aired a lot on syndication in like the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. But I think I don't know what it was. I think like there were some rights issues after that. And like it just hasn't really gotten mm -hmm. uh modern uh release well when we were doing uh so poltergeist and uh, outer limits were both done by mgm and they were both done for uh showtime uh for a while and uh yeah the content we could we were free we had freer reign for content um and then we had to pull back when it went on to sci-fi and it's funny too because Sci-fi, uh, I did uh, a show called Olympus. It was the last series I did. And it was with Sci-Fi. <clears throat> and they kept pushing us for, they said, we want like, you know, Game of Thrones sensibilities, like whatever that means. I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, how much money, yes. well, but you know how much money they spend per episode versus how much you're giving us? Yeah. Well, and they kept pushing us and pushing us uh, the person we were working, who was our liaison, pushing us, be bolder, more nudity. It's like, and, you know, it takes a long time to shoot anything on set if you've got nudity. Like, sure. it, a long time. Sure. And I kept saying, why are we doing this? Sci-fi is not going to put nudity on the air. Yeah. It's just not. I don't know why they're pushing us to do this. Anyway, we shot this whole scene. It took half a day in a in a uh, Roman bath, if you will. We couldn't use it. It's like they watched the cut and they were like, "What? What are you guys thinking?" It's like yeah. oh my God, <laughs> we've just been like gaslit by your own vice president. <laughs> the same like... thing happened on Bitten. We were shooting. They didn't want nudity, but we shot. We had some shots of uh, one of the actors, uh, Grayston, uh, Grayston Holt walking away from camera and, and and he was naked. You could see his butt crack. 
And they came back and they said, what, what are you guys, what are you thinking? You, we can't show butt crack. Yes. <laughs> says right there in, in the list of things that you can and can't do. Like, we'll just blow it up. We'll reposition it. It'll all be fine. Of course, female kind of... nudity is great, but male nudity, oh, never, sure. never, 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 never. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you get you get so uh, inured, if that's the right word now, with streaming, that yep. nudity is just like, you know, if you're watching a movie, there's no really difference between watching a movie and watching, you know, uh, a show on HBO. You just sort of lose track of the fact it's like, oh, they here's some here's some female breasts and here's some guy's butt. And it's like <laughs> you become you know, it, it has totally lost its impact. So, oh yeah, I think so. I'm not quite sure why you're going out of the way to do it because it has no impact. So then you watch a movie from a few years ago and two people are in bed making love and uh, the woman is wearing a bra. Yep. And they're under the sheets. Under the and sheets. Totally. Always under the sheets. <laughs> oh, we did. We did an episode of 13 and. Aw. Back to the creature. Oh, big problems, big problems. Boom! There's that Bologna wave. It's a good effect. It looks really nice. It's not bad. Yeah, it's so funny. So that was a camera shake. There was when I was at Warner Brothers. They were doing uh, Poseidon Adventure, the up mm. the updated version of it. Yeah, <laughs> and. They had built uh, the main, the grand entrance to the ship with a, with a grand stairway, staircase, filling up this entire stage. I mean, it was extraordinary. Next door, they built the exact same set upside down huh. on, on gimbals so they could shake it and it was, and it was designed with uh, gutters all around it so they could fill it with water as well. It was wow. like, here's the difference between doing two TV and features. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's, it was, it was shocking. And it was like, so cool. After having been in the business for so long, you walk in, you still get blown away when you see something like that. Oh yeah. <clears throat> that movie was, uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't, that movie kind of didn't do well, did it? Like, I seem to remember. Yeah, I remember that was like kind of the scene as like the sign that uh, these sort of epic, uh, you know, big, big Wolfgang Peterson movies were. Uh, yeah, I think were, it did okay, but it, it didn't break through. Yeah. Yeah. Not like Super Mario Brothers. Yes. Seriously. God, talk about surprising. That's, uh, I feel bad I mean, for Dungeons and Dragons. I hear that movie's really good, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, it's just getting forgotten about because of uh, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> I, I mean, three hundred and seventy-five million dollars worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Uni Universal's got to just be going. Ah, we just made our, we just made our year early on yeah. here. Oh yeah. And animation's <clears throat> a lot cheaper than, uh, say, Jurassic World or whatever Chris Pratt's yes. well, last yes. movie was. <laughs> Especially that movie because the you know the animation is intentionally, you know. It's not very fancy animation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> quick, quick, quick. Yes. So what kind of shows do you watch now? 
Um, we watch, th this will sound uh, probably uh, wrong, but never watch anything on network because <clears throat> it's all the same show. It's all, yeah. you know, yeah. Chicago Fire, Police and Medical. It's just like, okay, so go change your outfits hmm. and we're going to use the same script. And now you're firemen, which of course I'm being facetious, but hmm. but don't watch um, you know the reality shows. So really, uh, you know, watch a lot of stuff on HBO. Watch a lot of stuff on Netflix. Of course, we you know we love uh, Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. And uh, what what did we watch recently? We we watched uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, which I thought was pretty terrific. Mm -hmm. And um, watch a lot of British television, mm. which sounds kind of snooty, but uh, yeah. good storytellers yeah. and terrific acting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> we we try to find a series that you know we can we can watch, not necessarily binge, but we can watch a couple episodes, uh, you know, once or twice a week and uh always have something going we're actually going back and starting uh narcos from the beginning for no reason other than the fact that we loved it and in between watching other stuff we just sort of oh, let's go back and watch narcos again like loved sherlock yeah, yeah. i mean <clears throat> just probably watched him three times and uh luther loved luther although the luther movie was disappointing hmm. um so you don't really watch sci-fi much then? Not so much. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, we I, we tried. My wife's a big uh, Lord of the Rings fan, and we tried, <clears throat> and a uh, big Harry Potter fan and stuff like that. We tried the the uh, Game of Thrones, the new one. Didn't much mm -hmm. care for it. Tried the new Hobbit series. Didn't much care for it. We're I, I'm pretty quick to, uh, I'm sort of slow to embrace and pretty quick to go like, yeah, I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a short attention span. It's just I have short attention span for <clears throat> what I just think is terrible storytelling or, you know, bad acting. It's just like, it's not worth our time. Yeah. What do you guys watch? Well, see, I, I like the new Game of Thrones. I, I, <laughs> I think it's fun. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um, and I do watch uh, like Picard and, uh, you know, Lower Decks and Prodigy and, you know, all, all the Trek stuff. Uh -huh. um, and of course, yeah, on Apple TV, Ted Lasso and Shrinking and uh, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been watching Picard as well and uh, rewatching, you know, I've been rewatching uh, Star Trek here. I've been showing my girlfriend the next generation for the first time and. Yeah, we're finally into season three, so I, I, I we made it through, through all, the, uh, all the season one and two uh, glorious episodes that I love profusely. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, in terms of like newer stuff, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm um, I don't know. I'm not watching a lot of a lot of stuff, new stuff. So, so what's the what's the book that you wrote, Peter? Uh, you know, it's the history of uh, the Star Trek franchise. Um, of course, uh, it is. Yes. <laughs> uh, so it just came out a couple of weeks ago, and it's been uh, doing pretty well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, you know, 
rocking the uh working on a couple of new ones right now i have one on the star wars franchise coming out in uh, later on this summer and then uh, working on one right now about the history of the simpsons so oh that fun. must be fun it's a lot of fun actually it's fascinating to look back on i mean it's, <clears throat> tv in the 90s especially and just all of, I, I love just hearing about all the like lights of like the conservative mothers out there that were trying to cancel the show yeah <laughs> And just the push for censorship and all that stuff at the time. But. So is your your writing mostly uh, limited, not limited, but mostly based on uh, historical uh, lookbacks on television shows as opposed to doing something uh, fiction? Uh, you know, for now, the nonfiction is I, I view it as kind of like the day job. I, hmm. I you know, came to Hollywood to uh, be a screenwriter and um, I written a few star trek short stories uh that appeared in the star trek explorer magazine um that lisa also had some published in and uh i uh wrote pandora you know, we worked on we lisa and i first met because we uh, co-wrote an episode of a cw tv show called pandora which came right. out a few years ago and uh yeah so you know it's um but as as you know in hollywood it's sometimes it's a long period of time between jobs so uh the nonfiction gig was a big blessing that it uh i was able to uh <clears throat> by talking about stuff that i really enjoy yeah well everybody needs a day job and lisa what are you uh, working on right now uh, i'm writing a screenplay actually um i don't actually have a day job so i'm kind of <laughs> living off some of those residuals <laughs> What are you writing? Yes, uh, you know, the episode just finished up and I definitely want to ask you about your uh, latest novel and you, you mentioned oh, how you're you. working on a, on a new one. So a uh, couple years ago now, I pub or uh, I wrote a novel called Gideon. It's a um, suspense thriller uh, based in San Francisco and it focuses on a uh, young woman who's a doctor who works in a uh, neighborhood clinic in the Mission District. Yeah, with her father, who is a very uh, well-known surgeon, and uh, her life is great. And and then early on in the book, her father is murdered. Hmm. And once he's murdered, she finds out that he led a very, very dangerous, very secretive double life. Hmm. And now <clears throat> her life is in turmoil, and she has to decide, she has to make choices that violate her moral and legal bounds to save her own life so it's a little hitchcockian well actually it's very hitchcockian i i just like the idea of a normal person being thrown into a situation that is completely and utterly outside of their normal day, daily life and how they deal with it yeah so i wrote it originally as as we do i wrote it originally as a pilot and uh, it got very good reaction, but no one wanted to buy it and make it, which, you know, happens oh, yeah. times in our business. <laughs> so it was sitting around for a long time. And after I, I wrapped up uh, my work in as a as a hands on showrunner uh, and my wife and I moved up here to Oregon, I thought, you know what, I'm I've always wanted to write a novel. And I'm going to I love that idea. And I'm going to take it and flesh it out and write it. And uh, it was traditionally published. Um, <clears throat> and I'm just like literally days away from finishing the sequel. Oh, so it's, it's designed as a, as a trilogy. Um, 
the thing about writing novels, though, uh, unless you're already have a contract with a publishing house, there's a lot of downtime after writing while you're trying to figure out how to get it published. And so in the interim, I, I had written another pilot, which was flat out science fiction. And uh, <clears throat> it also was optioned a few times, but another went forward. And it, so I decided, you know, I love this. Gideon is very, I won't say it's very heavy, but it's, it's emotional and it's kind of dark. And as you know, when you write something like that, it, it, you know, it takes more out of you than you write something lighter. Yeah. And so this other show that this other novel that I'm three quarters of the way through is a run and jump fun science fiction one. And it's so much, it's, it's just such a nice breath of fresh air to write that in between writing these darker novels. So, yeah. So hopefully uh, Gideon Resurrection will be out uh, in a, you know, six weeks or so. Great. I may just go ahead and self-publish it because the experience mm. I had with my publisher was so not positive. Mm. But, uh, I got the rights back, all the rights for the first book back from them. So I'll be shopping the rights to the first book and the second book together. But having done this now and having gone through the process... And uh, I'm very involved in a group called the Williamette Writers, which is a big, big writing uh, group here in the Pacific Northwest. And having spoken to not only a lot of publishers, but a lot of writers, and um, I'm not sure I need a publisher at this point. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's the, the difficulty without belaboring the point is is not the writing is not getting it up on Amazon it's getting the word out is publicity yep. and when yep. you work with a when you work with a publisher who just wants to get uh more more writers in their stable and doesn't don't really have the money or the wherewithal or care about publicizing it then it's like why why am I giving you uh, the rights to my novel yeah. so <clears throat> And then the interesting thing too, as and you will appreciate this, is my agents have been taking Gideon out and trying to set it up as either a feature or as a limited series. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between having a pilot and having uh, IP. Yep. You know, having intellectual property that you can walk in and put on someone's desk. So absolutely, I just, I just think it would be very, um, it'd be really interesting if it ever turned around and got made and it was and it wouldn't be because of the script i wrote it would be because of a novel i wrote yeah. yep well i think i think especially <clears throat> now i mean we're seeing i think a, a bit of a pushback i guess against uh the more spectacle based uh things and people are looking for more of those like tight you know hitchcock and thrillers again it feels like so it's uh <clears throat> another could very well be a market for that again yeah. And one of the things you also find out is it's so it's based upon quality, but it's so based on right place, right time. Oh, yeah. You write something and if you get it to the right person who just happens to be looking for a project for a director or for an actor slash actress. And it's like, oh, you, this is exactly what we're looking for, for fill in the blank. Yeah. yeah. It, it's. 
it, it, it takes just the, the timing aspect is, is, uh, you know, it's so happenstance. I talked to so many publishers and they're going like, you know, we really like this, but we're just not doing that book right now. Yeah. 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 And that's totally out of your hands. <clears throat> oh, a hundred percent. Well, and the other thing too, and, and you can obviously, none of this needs to be on the recording. You can do whatever you want with it, but I do a, a master class at, at the conference every year on television because in the Pacific Northwest, I'm a bit of a unicorn. There's not that mm. many TV writer producers up here. So a lot of people are talking about <clears throat> uh, writing uh, novels and memoirs and, and nonfiction and all those kinds of things, which is really interesting and, and helpful. And I talk about TV and the people who come in, there's like, they like hearing about the process. They like hearing some of the war stories and this and that. And then at the end, it's like, uh, how do we get into it? Yeah. Like, yeah. What? what do you tell them? <laughs> <laughs> Be lucky. Always, yeah. Yeah. It always boils down to it's, it's really less about what you write in. And, you know, it's such an old hack adage, but it's really who, you know, and if you're in Portland, how do you go, hang out with the CAA assistants after yeah. work at some bar someplace. I mean, you can't do it. So I don't, I don't even know how to do it in LA. I'm just, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's hard. But uh, anyway, and talking about getting the word out, uh, do you have any uh, social media websites you'd like to promote? Or uh, my website, there? thank you, is www, like they all are. It's uh, Grant E. Rosenberg. R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot com. Uh, that's a website that talks, uh, you know, gives a background of who I am, talks about Gideon. And there's a tab on there called, that says, it's called 44 Degrees, 44 Degrees. And that is my cookbook. Oh, and nice. Anybody who visits there, they're welcome to download my cookbook. And yes, there are a couple typos in it. I'm always updating <laughs> I started cooking in earnest when I went on location on Poltergeist. Little did I know I was going to spend 20 years in Canada. <laughs> and so I was there by myself and I was cooking and cooking and cooking. And people would come over and say, oh, can I have the recipe for that? Can I have the recipe for this? And I compiled a cookbook, uh, <clears throat> informal uh, I, I, I like to call it a, like, you know, a collection of recipes because calling it a cookbook makes it sound a little more formal than it is. Mm. But I think there's over 210 recipes in there or something like that. And they're pretty wow. easy and they're all pretty great. And I cook from it every night and uh, I update it once a year. So it's just a little, a little something if anybody wants a couple of recipes. I feel like you, you, you're missing the opportunity there to like to, to tie it in with like poltergeist especially like it's, it's <laughs> feeding the well, poltergeist I, could, I, you know, I mean i could really if i put my mind to it and i doubt if i ever will i can really sort of relate the recipes to the experiences i had on the various shows when the recipes came to fruition which then would probably make it actually marketable but so many of the recipes <laughs> are not original. I don't even know who wrote most of them. So I'm not claiming originality in many cases. Well, yeah. te te I don't, technically speaking, I don't think 
recipes are copyrightable. So I think you're fine. I think it's, uh, <coughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just about when it, where it gets published. So I think you're a okay well, there. So. I think I'm fine. Cause I've never charged a dollar for it. So that, that, too. <laughs> that helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's an interesting new spin on the memoir idea. It's like, yeah. it's <laughs> really nice cookbooks. Thing. But, uh, Anyway, uh, thank you so much again for joining us on this podcast. It's been really it's lovely. It's my pleasure. Great thank you for having you. me. I'm sorry I couldn't shine too much light on the uh, inner workings of New Ground, but hey, that's all right. It's been fascinating to to speak with you, and uh, you know we, we love hearing all the stories about about uh, screenwriters and yeah. And thank you. Thanks for having it. me. Good luck to you guys, and good luck going forward in all your projects. Yes, yes thank you too. You, thank you. Okay. Uh, listeners out there, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at uh, Trexperts BR on Twitter and uh, Trexperts Briefing Room on Instagram, where we update about upcoming shows and uh, talk about uh, new and exciting things in our lives. Um, so, we want to thank our uh, team over the Inglorious Trexperts Podcast Network uh, Mark Rivera, uh, Mark A. Altman, Darren Dockerman. Uh, until next time, for Lisa Clink and myself, thanks very much for being here. And the briefing room is now closed. Scott, what do you repeat you just told us? About an hour ago, bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened, as if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement.